Welcome to the Community of Hope Church podcast. Our church exists to interest disinterested people in Jesus Christ and then grow together into fully devoted followers of Him. So wherever you are, we hope you find this message helpful, practical, and applicable to your life. God bless. Everybody doing good? Good, good, good. It's good to be here. Even if we're kind of muffled up, we're still here, right? We're here, everybody. It's good. Amen. And I want to take a moment and want to welcome everybody who's streaming the service online. We want to always remind our, our friends and family who are not yet ready to return that they're every bit a part of our church family. We welcome you into this space. So we are in a series right now uh, in our church, and we're calling the series, what you just heard, Come Alive. And here's what we're doing. This is kind of the goal. We're talking about uh, the deeper work that God does within the human heart as we learn to trust him, as we begin to turn our lives uh, into his direction and begin to focus on his grace and what he would say to us about our lives. And many of y'all know in this series right now, we are connecting really two big ideas. Here's the first big idea that we're connecting, and that is this. When we grow in our relationship with Christ, we grow more fully into ourselves. In fact, I like to think of it this way. We not even grow more fully into ourselves. We, we grow into ourselves. We become the person that God has created us to be. And so that is really one of the big ideas uh, of this series. Uh, we start to look like Jesus. We begin to look like our Heavenly Father. I know I'm in Loxahatchee, so this is not a, sort of like a trick question. Any country music fans in the room? Right. I mean, I know I'm in Loxahatchee, so I figured like somebody's got to like country music. I like all kinds of music. I, somebody handed this to me a few weeks ago. Some of the worst country music titles ever. And I thought I would share some of these with you. This is, these are actual titles to songs. Here's one. I'm double parked by the curbstone of your heart. I, I like this one. Beauty's only skin deep, but your ugly goes clean to the bone. That was not a major hit, by the way. Um, here's one. Come out of the wheat field, Nelly. You're cutting against the grain. Um, I like this one. He's got away with women. He just got away with mine. <laughs> Drop kick me, Jesus, through the goalposts of life. That's an actual title. And then here's the stupidest one, I think. I've got tears in my ears from lying on my bed, crying on my pillow over you. Isn't that weird? But um, years ago, uh, Beth and I, there was an artist that we used to like many years ago. His name was Paul Overstreet. Anybody ever heard Paul Overstreet? Thank you very much. Uh, the, yeah. And uh, he wrote a song called um, Seeing My Father in Me. And the song that he wrote, there's a line in the song, and it's kind of a double entendre, sort of a double meaning. And the chorus of the song says this. He says, I'm seeing my father in me. I guess it's how it's meant to be. I find I'm more and more like him each day. I'm noticing that I walk the way he walks, and I talk the way he talks. I'm starting to see my father in me. And this is sort of the image of, of one of the things that we're striking at in this series. What happens when you and I grow in our faith so that God's presence becomes reflected in our lives. We just begin to sort of take on the resemblance, if you will, uh, of our Heavenly Father. I was thinking about this idea even from a, a biblical idea, and we're going to talk a lot today out of the words of uh, the Apostle Paul uh, in Ephesians, but 
uh, in Philippians, but in the book of Ephesians, he says something like this, and I, I thought this would be great right at the beginning. He says, we are God's handiwork. We are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. And, and if you're taking notes, the word handiwork in the Greek language is the word poema, which translates this. It's kind of an interesting thing. It translates workmanship or work of art. So this is literally the idea that we are God's work of art created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God has prepared in advance for us to do. I was thinking about works of art. I, I was reading a story uh, in a book that I'm reading right now about um, Michelangelo's uh, first, one of his first major sculptures. And I had a guy after the first service who told me that the, the sculpture I'm about to show you, he did this when he was 20 years old. And I want to show it to you. Isn't that amazing? It's called the Pieta, and it is in St. Uh, St. Peter's Basilica in Rome, and, and it is a depiction of Mary at the cross, uh, at the foot of the cross, holding her crucified son, Jesus. And years ago, what's interesting about this story, if you look at it real close, you can't even tell this, but years ago, a group of fanatic nationalists got into the basilica, and they rushed upon this masterpiece, and they smashed it with a sledgehammer. And all of those who work there began to painstakingly reassemble this almost to the point now that you can't even tell that. And what's interesting when I thought about that, it reminded me of this idea that God is determined not only to overcome the defacing of his image within us, his plan is not simply to repair our brokenness. Here's what's so glorious about these truths this morning. He wants to make us new creatures. God wants to make us new. And when Paul was writing that wonderful verse, you, you're familiar with it, he says this, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old is gone, the new is here. And so this is kind of the idea that we're looking at in this series. How does God make us new? How does he do that? And so we're sort of uh, digging into that a little bit. And so that's one of the ideas that we're connecting. The other idea, of course, is this, and that is that our emotional uh, health our, and our relational health uh, uh, are interconnected our sp with our spiritual lives, and they get better as we grow in our faith in Christ. Now, if you are with us last week, we had, I think, a challenging conversation because we talked about our past. And uh, this is the, uh, the idea, if you missed it, this is one of the things I talked about, that you know none of us gets, gets through life unscathed. We all have moments that we regret. We've all said things that we wish we didn't say. This is very true of us uh, in life. And whenever we have a conversation in our past, it can be challenging. And we used last week, if you were with us, we, we looked at the life of Joseph as, as an example, and we used him sort of as a trail guide to help us navigate the past in the right way. And if you're with us, here's what we learned about Joseph. We know that Joseph approached his path, uh, his past, first of all, with honesty. Uh, he approached it, you know, full well. He, he approached it with a God-leaning perspective, and he approached it with trust. And so, um, and this is what we talked about. But here's what I think about whenever I'm in conversations with people and we're talking about our past and there's, there's that moment when we begin to say, okay, now we want to talk about our present. Now we want to talk about even our future. There's always this moment where it feels difficult because a lot of us feel like we have stuff sort of stacked up around us. 
And how do I navigate all of that and begin to move that forward uh, in the right way? It's almost as though I remember a comedian one time who said this, a lot of us in our lives, we reach these moments where we stand at a crossroads and it feels like one path leads to despair and hopelessness. The other path leads to extinction. Let's pray we have the wisdom to make the right choice. Let me read that again. It was supposed to be funny. So at some point, I'm not even going to do this at noon because it, it, it just, it flamed, it flamed out at nine. It flamed out at 1030. I'm not even going to do it at noon. So here's the thing. Sometimes it feels weird to go from the past to, to, to the present and the future, but it doesn't have to. And Paul tells us how it could be different. And so what I want to do is I want to take you now, we're going to flip all the way over. I want to go to the New Testament, and I want to read a passage of Scripture that is maybe somewhat familiar, and we're going to look at it in a way, we're going to pull some truths out of this as we begin to talk about the present and as we begin to dream about the future. And Paul writes these words in Philippians chapter 3, uh, beginning at verse 7, and he says this, He says, but whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. And what is more, he says, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. He said, I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ, that I may be found in him, that I may not have a righteousness that comes from my own. In other words, my own good works, uh, but on the basis of faith, he says. And then in verse 10, he says, and I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. And so somehow attaining the resurrection from the dead. And going on, he writes, not that I've already obtained all of this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, he says, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. All of us then, he writes, who are mature should take such a view of these things. And if on some point you think differently, that too God will make clear to you only, he says, let us live up to what we have already attained. Let's pray together. You know, Lord, I I just want to say right here in this space that I think really for many of us and, and maybe even for all of us, God, these are important words for us. Uh, this is really the the secret. This is really the recipe, Lord, how we can get loose of the chains of our past and embrace what you would say to us now and lean into all that you have for us in the future. By your grace, Lord, let these words leap off a page and down into our heart. For we pray in Jesus' name, and everyone said, Man, I want to tell you about this. Um, I love this passage of Scripture. And I want to tell you why I love it. Because whenever we're in a conversation about growing in our faith, we're always going to navigate a conversation about cleaning up some parts of our past. And and if anybody had a past, right, in the Bible, it, it was Paul. 
And in fact, I always think of it this way. He had such a past that before he was Paul, he was Saul. I mean, he had a completely different name. And, 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 and there's quite a story that's attributed to that name. We first get to know him in Acts chapter 7, where there's this amazing story of Stephen, who is one of the early pioneers of the Christian experience, one of the early uh, preachers of the gospel. And, and, and Stephen preached in a way that, that got him in trouble. Sometimes when you preach, it'll get you in trouble. And, and, and he was preaching the gospel and, and, and those who were dead against the idea that we could worship a God who literally raised from the dead. And they, and, and they, they took Stephen, they dragged him out of town and Stephen became known not only as one of our first preachers, but, but our very first Christian martyr. And he was killed for his devotion to Jesus Christ. And the guy that was holding the coats of the ones who stoned Stephen to death was Saul of Tarsus. And Saul became the chief antagonizer of the Christian experience. He was probably, without any kind of hyperbole, probably the one most feared among the early church as the early church began to take form. This was the man that everybody feared. And so we first learn about him in Acts chapter 7, and then we learn again about him in Acts chapter 8, where, where it tells us that, that Saul was um, affirming uh, of those who were antagonizing and abusing the early followers of Jesus. But then we get to the back part of chapter 8, and Paul has a radical encounter with Jesus Christ. And his life changes so much, he eventually... We learned a little bit later on in the book of Acts, his name is no longer Saul, it becomes Paul. And it becomes, in a way, you guys, it becomes emblematic for us, really, of the kind of transformation that is possible. And this is, this is the stuff preachers love to, to preach about. And, and so whenever I think about Paul, I think, man, if anybody had a past, it was Paul. And this is what I love to always remind everybody in moments like this. And whenever Paul is writing, whenever he's speaking, here's what I would have you always remember from this point forward. He's writing and speaking as well about himself. What's really important, and I think what's instructive, is sometimes if if you're like me, all of us, you know, if we're not careful, we come into moments like this and we kind of go into autopilot. And, and, and what happens in spaces like this, I don't know why it is, and I think sometimes the church has earned that as a reputation, but we come into moments like this and we kind of just click our brain off, we get through the experience, we come back out, we wake back up and we go back to life. This should be the space that wakes us up better than anything else. Thank you for the muffled amen. I get it. Okay, and and so what's interesting about a moment like this is that um, is that whenever we think uh, read words from Paul, whenever we see him, uh, you know, uh, uh, writing, whenever we see him speaking, we need a reminder that he was also talking to himself. Every now and again, when you go out in the lobby, well, actually, I should say when you used to go out in the lobby and we could meet in the lobby. Remember when we used to do that? Some, sometimes you guys would say to me, how did you know? Like, it felt like you were, you were talking right to me. And here's what I, well, I'll often say. You know why I know? Because I'm talking to myself, right? And, and this is what Paul was doing. And so, so Paul is writing not, not as a salesperson, 
He's writing as a customer. He's, one, he's writing as one who, as John Wesley would say, who has experienced the, the vile grace and indiscriminate compassion of Jesus on his soul. And so this is a powerful moment. And, and, and if there's anybody that's really qualified to help us think through the past and navigate our way to the future, I mean, it's, it's Paul. And sometimes, you know, it's, it's a journey for us to think about this. And uh, I was thinking about this the other day. There's a story I like to tell. Maybe you've heard me share it that I love as a lover of history. I love to tell the story about how Lewis and Clark were commissioned by Thomas Jefferson to make a way to the America, open the American West and to find a way to the Pacific Ocean. Imagine that as an assignment. And so Lewis and Clark take off on this journey and Stephen Ambrose talks about it in his book, Undaunted Courage. And this is what he writes. He says this, after two years of battling nearly insurmountable problems like hunger and fatigue and desertion and hostile enemies and illness and death, the Lewis and Clark party finally reached the headwaters of the Missouri River. And all of their advance information had led them to believe that once they reached the Continental Divide, they would just face at best a half-day portage to reach the waters of the Columbia River that would float them safely down to the Pacific Ocean. So this is that moment when they're thinking, everybody's going to be writing about us. This is going to be this fantastic thing. We have made it. We have done it. The victory is ours. And there's this wonderful story in the, in the middle of the book where Meriwether Lewis leaves the rest of the party behind and he climbs the bluffs that would enable him to see the other side, hoping to see the waters that in that moment would carry them the rest of the way. But listen to this. Instead of seeing a gentle sloping valley that would lead down to the Columbia River, he becomes the first non-Native American to set his eyes on the Rocky Mountains. It's like there's this moment of reality. Oh, my gosh. It's not behind us. It's in front of us. And Ambrose writes this, and I want, to, I want you to hear this with spiritual ears this morning, but this is what he writes. He says, eventually, he says, the crossing of the Rocky Mountains would be perhaps the supreme achievement of the entire experience. And the challenge would call forth enormous creativity and perseverance. It would lead these men and their team to spectacular sights, unforgettable memories, because when they had tackled the Rocky Mountains, they would then know they could tackle anything. And I want to tell you this morning, from a Christian perspective, that whenever you and I have have done some work over our past, and we want to turn and face the future, this is that moment. And here's what I want to remind you. All your life, all of your life, you are going to be tempted to choose between two ideals, one bad and one good, one unhelpful and one completely redemptive. And Paul tells us what it is. And all your life, you're going to be tempted. And, and let me give you the bad first. You're going to be tempted to, to choose in your life speed and pace. That if we just speed it up, it'll happen. It'll get there.
And this is one of the biggest temptations, I think, in the, in the human experience. Um, I was reading a book by Robert Levine. He wrote a book called The Geography of Time. And he tells us about this kind of thing that has sort of just happened in our culture that we have all bought into the lie that whatever it is, if we just do it faster, it would be better. And he says this, to coach up a bigger idea, he first says this. He says, imagine with me you're at a toll booth and the driver of the car in front of you is having an extended conversation with the toll booth operator. He says, what happens in that moment? Are you happy they're experiencing toll booth and community? <laughs> he says, do you fantasize about the things that you would like to say to the toll booth operator if given a chance? <laughs> do you attempt to drive your vehicle in between the toll booth and the other car? <laughs> or he says this, imagine you're sitting in the waiting room of your doctor's office. It's now been an hour and a half. He said, are you grateful for the chance to finally catch up on the 1993 Reader's Digest that's to your left? <laughs> he says, do you hyperventilate to get immediate attention, or do you fake a phone call in which you keep repeating out loud that you really don't think it's contagious? <laughs> he goes on to say that this is really the challenge if we're going to learn to do life well, we're going to have to learn how to slow down. Dallas Willard, that I think articulate writer of the Christian experience said, was asked one time, he said, what is the secret of the Christian experience? What is the secret of the Christian experience? I mean, here he is, he's written all these books. He's just so, you know, well-spoken and what it is to really navigate a relationship with Jesus. And he says, the secret of the Christian experience is learning how to ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. Yeah. And all of our lives, this is the temptation. Now, here's what I want to tell you. For Paul the Apostle, he reminds us in this passage that the secret of the Christian experience isn't speed, everybody. It's focus. It's focus. And when Paul is writing, he tells us about this and he, I think, highlights, if you will, three things that I think are really, really important that I want to give to you that come out of this passage. And Paul suggests to us what happens when our lives and our faith intersect. And he said, if we're really going to grow, we have to become willing. The first step is simply this, to reorient our lives around the truth of the gospel. And I want you to notice what he says here. I want to read it just again so that you can uh, experience it. He says this beginning in verse 7. He says, whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, he said, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ that I may be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. This is the essential step. I, I know right now that because of our culture, and I think really right now because of our weird world we're living in, all of us have to-do lists. I think the question Paul would ask us is, do you have a to-don't list? 
I really do. That I think Paul would say, what are you willing to eliminate so that Christ can become more real in your life? Because I want to tell you what I think we're really good at. We just keep stacking stuff on top of everything. And, and we just go at everything and we, we just... We, we, we just come, become this thing where this sort of just takes over for us and, and we run so fast that we forget it. I was reading an article recently about, have you seen that the, the, the Virgin Corporation is, is building this thing? They're calling it the Hyperloop from L.A. to uh, Las Vegas because you got to be able to get to Las Vegas just as quickly as you can. <laughs> And they and and I want to show you this is a picture. This actual thing. Do you do you know how fast it's going to go? It's going to go 621 miles an hour. Now now for me, I want to go. Should we at all be alarmed that it's called the Hyperloop? Hyper's not a good thing, right? That's like too fast, right? And so this is the temptation of our lives. And Paul says if we're going to really grow, we're going to have to learn to reorient our lives. And then he says this, we're going to have to, I think, consider eternity. And he says this, let me read to you verses 10 and 11. This is maybe my favorite verses in all of this passage. He says this, I want to know Christ. He's just being honest. I want to know him. I want to know the power of his resurrection. I want to participate in his sufferings. I want to become like him, even in his death. So somehow attaining then to the resurrection from the dead. Paul, Paul is suggesting to us that you and I develop our skills to be able to better sift through what is eternal and lasting and what is temporary and will not last. That's important. Right now in our church, um, uh, some of us are participating in a marriage event. And we're doing it, for those who are not yet ready to come together, we've got a thing going online. True Loves are leading that. And then Beth and I are doing the, the one in person. We do it in here on Tuesday nights. And when you come in here, all the tables are set out, you know, so you can have a little date with your, with your spouse and we're socially distancing and all that. And the, the couple that are leading us through this exercise on video each week, their names are are, are Nikki and Scylla. And they, they told this story last week of early in their marriage that uh, they got in an argument with one another. And while Scylla was talking to Nikki and she was there in this moment, they're in this argument and she looked down and here was this bowl of apples. And so she picked up this apple and she threw it at her husband just in a moment of anger. And, and then she realized, well, there's a whole bowl here. And, and she picked up these apples, and she just winging these uh, at, 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 you know. And, and while that's going on, Beth leaned over to me, and she said, do you remember the moment early in our marriage when we were throwing stuff at one another? And I said, I said yeah. And she goes, it was your fault. I'm like, I'm, of course I know it was my fault. And, but I leaned over to her after she said that, and I said this to her. I said, do you remember what we were arguing about? And we couldn't remember. I mean, it was obviously a big enough argument that we're throwing stuff at one another, right? But, but we couldn't remember. And I think in a way, this is kind of what Paul is saying. You know, how do we, how do we better understand between what is temporary 
and what is eternal? What doesn't at the end of the day matter and what is really important? And here's what's really important. Paul wants to remind you, none of us are here to stay. We're not here to stay. And so what is your life counting for? What is it pointing for? And, and, and Paul is saying this, measure your life against eternity. Now, here's the thing. I can tell you how I do that, and I can tell you that it's important to me, but I can tell you this. I can't really tell you how you can have to do it, and I can't make it important to you. I sent the team this week, I sent them a picture. I want to I show you a picture. Those are all the journals that I've been collecting across the years when I sit in my devotional time and I read the scriptures and then I, I write out what I think God is saying to me in that time. And it's sort of a reminder. I have to tell you, you can show that picture again. There, there are a few things that if my house caught fire, I'd grab. That'd be one of them. Because in there are promises God has given me. In there are confessions over my sins. In there are heartaches and longings and victories and celebrations. And this is, this is your pastor's way to measure my life against the backdrop of eternity. But I want to tell you, I can't do that for you. You have to do it for yourself. And Paul is saying, if we're ever going to grow up and be who God has called us to be, we're going to have to figure out the rhythm how to do that. And he says one more thing. He says, would, would you become willing to reorient your life? Would you be willing to come up with a to-don't list? Would you be willing to measure your life against the backdrop of eternity? And then, and then lastly, he says this, and this is, I think, so beautiful. We have to remember that we're committed to run the long race. This is, this is against speed. What's the little children's story? It's... It's the tortoise that wins, not the hare. And in verses 12 through 14, Paul says this. I, I just love his honesty. Hey, not that I've already obtained this. Don't you just, I just feel victory even when he says that. Not that I have already obtained this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus has taken hold of me. And brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. But he, he goes on to say, but one thing I do, I forget what is behind, I strain toward what is ahead, and I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. And this is where I think the apostle is saying, it's not about speed, it's about focus. And whenever I read this passage, I'm reminded every single time that for Paul... He had selective memory about his past. He did what he needed to do, but he said, I'm not going to be chained to that anymore. But then he was also open-minded about his present, but he was single-minded about his future. What about you? What about you? Lord, I thank you this morning that this is the truth of the gospel. And God, I pray, even as 
Jose led us earlier this morning in that great moniker that comes out of Ephesians 5, that great line from the early hymn of the early church. Wake up, sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ the Lord will shine on you. O God in heaven, would you wake all of us up so that we might be better prepared to be the people that you've created us to be but to be the agents of change for your goodness and for your kingdom that you long for us to be. God, might that become in this moment important to us as it is important to you. This we pray in the name of Christ, our Lord. Amen. Amen. Would you stand together? So as you go from this place, would you hear this benediction to go here in the full knowledge of a God who loves you unconditionally, who has called you by his grace to be an agent of change in the world, that you, that you, and that you would spread abroad the fragrance of the knowledge of the Son of God every place you go. Go in his grace. We'll see you next weekend.